Good. Well, how many of you were at the graduation? You had graduation. Yeah, I think I, we hugged 2,100 people. Seriously, if I hug anybody else. I, I, my muscles are sore. <laughs> Who needs to go to the gym when you love people, you know what I'm saying? And then think of something, you know, really encouraging to say to 2,100 people. God bless you. I'm so, I can't even say it now. So proud of you. <laughs> yeah, really mean it. It's awesome. And one of my st- students, two of my students walked by and they, they stopped together and they, uh, and they said, Hey, the first week of class, I squeezed her hand and she squeezed back and we're getting married in three days. That was the highlight of all graduation for me. I'm like, the dream is alive. The dream is alive. Yeah, just grab a hand right now. And if you're single and you like to date the person next to you, just squeeze their hand. And if it's a yes, just squeeze back. And if, and if you're married, just show them the ring. Take him. All right, let go and we'll pray. You know, I was in Australia at, um, oh, Planet Shakers, Planet Shakers. You guys know Planet Shakers? I, I, they had, I don't remember how many services I preached, five, I think, or six. And I did that in every service, you know, and it's full of young people. And I think it was like fourth service when I said, squeeze in the, the, your neighbor's hand if you want to date him. A girl screamed, ah! <laughs> then I went back a year later and they were married. I mean, who needs a dating site? This is speed dating right here. That's why my conferences fill up. It ain't the preaching, that's for sure. All right, we should pray. It's come to that. Holy Spirit, help these people know I'm right about the things I'm about to share. And if I'm wrong, help them not remember. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. I want to talk to you about what's on your mind. (laughs) Turn to Romans chapter 12. There we go. Very good. All all y'all that know the Bible. Romans chapter 12. You know, I was thinking about how much money. Chris, while you were gone, we shouted Jesus just for you. And then you weren't here. We could. Okay, let's stand up and shout Jesus for Chris. You feel honored now? I know Jesus does. You know, um, it's amazing how much money is spent on people trying to change their life. <laughs> I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong. You know, there's some i think you know life coaches and training and equipping it's all it's all good but it's amazing how simple the bible says it is to change your life <laughs> so let's read the verse cuz you're all staring at me <laughs> don't tell me i wasted money look verse 1 therefore i urge you brethren by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Let me stop right there and just say this. Whatever you do after you meet Jesus is spiritual. Whatever you do with your body from that moment on is spiritual. Hopefully you're serving the right spiritual kingdom. But there's no such thing as secular when you receive Jesus. I want to be in the ministry. If you're saved, you're in the ministry. You may suck at it, but you're in it. You can be bad at it, but you're in it. I want to be a full-time minister. You are a full-time minister. There's only a royal priesthood. You know, years ago, we learned that um, in the book of Revelation, twice Jesus spoke to two churches and said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The word Nicolaitan means conqueror of the lay people. They're the people, they were the theologians that separated the priest and the people. Made two groups of people, the people who got ministered to and the people who minister. You know, and that creates, I come to church to be ministered to. No, you come to church to get equipped so you can do the ministry. <laughs> uh, Banning spoke the other day and, uh, here. It was beautiful. He, he, you know, they started, they planted a new church and, and uh, somebody came to him and, and said, uh, what does this church do for the poor? And he said, well, I don't know. What do you do for the poor? You're the church. <laughs> no, I understand there's another side of that. I understand that sometimes... Uh, I mean, oftentimes we have corporate expressions of that, and I think it's beautiful and good. But how many understand it can't start with the church? I can't start with the... (laughs) You are the church. It can't start with the organization. It has to be in our hearts. And I I love what Banning said when he he said, they said, what do you do for home groups? And he said, I don't know. What do you do for home groups? Invite some people over who love Jesus and talk about Jesus. And we have home groups here, so... Don't nobody get mad at me. I'm just saying, when you know you're a priest, when you know you're a minister, you're not waiting for someone to minister to you. You've come here to be equipped so you can do the ministry. I work at the nail salon. You're a minister at the nail salon. Hallelujah. You're bringing the kingdom wherever you go. Well, I work in a dark city. Well, not when you're there. I mean, I would agree before you got there, it could be, but it can't be now because you're there. You're the light of the world. And wherever you show up, light shows up. And darkness flees when light shows up. Well, I work for an evil boss. Yes, but he has a righteous servant. What's more powerful, an evil boss or a righteous servant? I don't know. Ask Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. I get, I get all these crazy people... Well, they're, cra- they're not crazy. They're nice. they're nice, crazy people. But and I write articles on things I preach, which I think is so beautiful. I mean, I actually like the attention. And now they say that I preach dominion theology. I don't even know what dominion theology is. I just know. And, and so Facebook people write me, and uh, not so much Twitter people. I don't know. Twitter people are more Christian <laughs> the Facebook people write me and, and they're like, do you believe in dominion theology? I'm like, I don't know. I don't believe in losing. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I'm really not sure. And they, they, they're like, I believe that it should be on earth as it is in heaven. And then they're like, what do you believe? I don't know if I believe all that. I just know we win and not some other day. <laughs> I don't want to put winning off for another game. <laughs> I want it to be in the game I'm in. You know, I'm 60, so I'm, you know, I'm already cramming for my finals. I, I'm like, 
I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So the, I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not like, a, I'm not a theologian. So they're, they, and they're like, well, and, and they write me private messages like they're really concerned about it. And like just pages of theo- theological statements. I'm like, all I said is we win. Now. If that's that, then that's what I believe. Well, do you believe that God wants to, you know, that you believe that God wants to touch cities? Yeah. Do you believe Jesus wants to influence government? Well, we did in the old covenant, so I'm just assuming he would like to do it in the new, since he said, make disciples of nations. I didn't know this was like, you know, I didn't know this was like a, a real, like, controversial, you know, theology. Sorry, some of you might have it. I'm sorry, I'm making fun of you, if maybe. I just didn't know that, that feeling like you're winning is like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know what to do as a Christian if I was taught survival mentality. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how I could like, okay, now you're a Christian, now survive. I'm not even wired like that. I'm like, if we don't win, I'm on the wrong side. (laughs) So I'm like, greater is he that's in me, not greater is he that will be in me someday in the by and by. Like, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I don't know. Anyway, it's just sometimes I'm troubled by what's controversial. I'm, I'm seriously like, you could be a Christian and feel like you're not supposed to win? I mean, I've been a Christian and not felt like I was winning. Right? We've all had that. I've been there many times. But when I don't feel like I'm winning, I know it's not supposed to be like that. <laughs> I've left some you know, devil fights bloody and not felt like I won, but I'm like, okay, you won that battle, but I'm supposed to win the war. I read the last page of the book, buddy. And I do know that, you know, that, well, okay, I'll make lots of controversies. Let me say this. God is not in heaven. Sorry. Heaven is in God. The heavens, the highest heavens could not contain God. God was here before the heavens were made, so how could the heavens, how could God be in heaven? Heaven's in God. (laughs) And you're in God. I'm like, you're trying to say we're not going to heaven? No, I'm not trying to mess with any of that. I don't know, I don't understand that, but I know there's another place I'm going when I die because I won't be here talking to y'all. But I know that, I know this, that we were supposed to eat the tree of life and never die. So work that out. I don't know. I just ask questions and people get mad. And I know that heaven's coming down. That's Revelation, right? 22. I saw the New Jerusalem coming down. And <laughs> Okay, so anyway. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I got off point, but... Therefore... <laughs> I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So when you offer God your body, 
whatever you do becomes spiritual service. If you give a glass of water to somebody, it doesn't seem spiritual. But Jesus said, if you did it because you love Jesus, then you're in the ministry. And all I'm saying is, I think we're supposed to thrive. Not just survive, thrive. I've been in lots of seasons where I'm just surviving. I'm not making like, you're evil if you're not, you know, thriving. But I'm saying, the goal is thrive. Good work. Thank you, Chris, for that. Okay, let's go on. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that what is just good, acceptable, and perfect. Really interesting. I want to read you a verse that will seem like it doesn't, it's not, doesn't relate at all. Matthew 17.1. Let me just read it to you. Six days, after G, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. If they had Ringo, they'd have a band. <laughs> And they led him to the high mountain by themselves. And he, speaking of Jesus, was transfigured before him, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Now, why am I reading that verse? What does that have anything to do with don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed? Well, the word transform and the word transfigured is the identical Greek word. When Jesus went up to the mountain, and he was transfigured before him, and his face shone like the sun, that's the word transformed. It's the same identical word. How would you like to shine like the sun? Renew your mind. How would you like to change your entire life? Like your entire life. Like, like my life sucks. How would you like to change that? Well, I'm going to exercise. I'm gonna, that's all good. That's all good. Paul said bodily discipline is of little good. No, he said it's a little good. <laughs> I obviously am not an example of that. I get that. So don't make judgments about people that you don't know. But how many understand godliness would transform you? And what I'm getting at is this, is that if you change the way you think, you'll change your mind. You'll change your life. If you change your thoughts, God will change your life. That's my whole message. I'm going to say some more stuff because i got to fill 47.45 seconds. The Greek word transform, you probably know this, it's, it's the word metamorpho or something like that. It comes from the word, obviously, metamorphosis, what happens when caterpillars turn into butterflies. And God says, you turn from a caterpillar into a butterfly when you change the way you think. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I've been reading Ephesians just in my private time this week. I always hate when you're teaching and the entire book disappears from your Bible. Your brain goes dead and you can't remember what. I think they should have the alphabetical. Seriously, everything in alphabetical order. This does not make any sense to me. Because I'm always going A, B, C, D. And then Book of Acts doesn't come first. Then I'm like, it's all messed up. (laughs) I said that in school three years ago. And someone rebound a Bible for me, cut it apart, put it in alphabetical order, and rebound it for me. 
and in gold letters put Chris Valentin's alphabetical Bible. And I seriously couldn't find anything. Because they put the Old and New Testament all together. <laughs> Chronicles, you know, was by Corinthians. And I, no, this is just not right. Where did Jesus come in? <laughs> I had Jesus in the Old Covenant. I was all, it was a mess. I'm like, all right, we tried that. That didn't work so good. Verse uh, uh, 21. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. In fact, let's just go from verse 17 where the thought picks up. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Just stop for a minute. Did you understand what he's saying? He's saying people that don't know God are darkened in their understanding and they're excluded from the life of God. Think about who's mentoring you. I mean, if you're being mentored by the media, you are being mentored. I'm not slamming anybody. I'm just saying, from God's perspective, you're being mentored by someone who's darkened in their understanding and, and excluded from the life of God. This is all about what are you thinking and who's influencing you. Um, okay, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance, that in them, um, that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. Wow, there's so much. <laughs> I guess I'm saying, you know how Proverbs says, a righteous guy does this and a wicked guy does that? And then there's that comparison thing. So we have a little bit of that, right? We have a little bit of, this is what the people who don't know God do, and this is what righteous people do. And we're just about to talk about what righteous people do, but did you notice that sensuality and impurity and greediness is all part of that other darkened understanding thing? But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you've learned have heard of him, and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your old, I'm sorry, that in reference to your former manner, manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with its lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness, holiness, and truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but yet don't sin. How many know being angry does, isn't sin? What you do with your anger. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let me just go backwards a little bit. How many know you can give the devil an opportunity as a Christian? Well, the devil can't touch me. Well, Paul said he could. Paul said that a Christian can open the door to the devil right here. He's speaking to Christians, and he's saying, don't give the devil an opportunity. So let's just back up for a minute and say this. Look at this. How many know when you received Jesus Christ, the old man died? Okay, you've, I mean, We've been talking about this for years, so this for us is old stuff. You became a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things became new. All things became new. So you're not just a new spirit. You're actually a whole new creation. 
Are you with me? So you, you, walk, you, you went into the baptismal tank with a cross, right? And you exited it with a crown. Because as he is, 1 John 4, as he is, not as he was, because how many know Jesus was the suffering servant, now he's the risen king. As he is, so are we in this world. Matthew 28, just you need another verse. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. This is after he rose from the dead. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore you go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them all that I taught you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are, are you following me? So I'm saying, you went into the baptismal tank with a cross. And how many understand that if you don't follow Jesus with your cross, you can't be a disciple. But Jesus was going somewhere because it says he died once, Romans 6, and for all. And so you go into the tank with the cross and you exit with the crown because the old man drowned in the baptismal tank. Baptism is not a symbolic act. Baptism is a prophetic act. Like when Naaman the leper got dunked seven times in the river Jordan and came out whole without leprosy. How many understand? That was not a symbolic act. It was a prophetic act. And physical obedience brings spiritual release. When you get in the baptism tank, you go in as an old man. And you come out as a new man. As a new woman in Christ. Okay, how do I walk that out? It's like, okay, I still look the same. I look and get in the mirror and I'm like, I still look the same. Okay, and here now Paul is teaching us. Here's what you do. In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is corrupted in accordance with lusts and deceits, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self. In other words, every morning you put on the new you. The old you, you don't, you don't go back to the graveyard and you put on the old, you know, some of you like you got raccoon skin that's not, it's like not PC anymore, huh? You can't wear dead things. I have a belt made out of cow. I'm saying lots, you know, like the women, they like this raccoon, you know, and things, those things are dead. And so, some of you, you're wearing your old dead man. You're like, look at my dead man. Isn't he beautiful? No, he looks dead. It's not, does, it's not becoming of you. It doesn't look good on you anymore. The things that made you attractive in the world, they're distracting to God. <laughs> so I put on my new me. I'm like, I get in the mirror, I'm like, I'm getting, you know, me, I, I wash my hair every day, brush my teeth, I shave this little part, this little part right here. Sometimes they don't shave very good. But... I'm not just getting ready. I'm like, okay, let's put on the new me. There I am. I'm renewed in the likeness of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, you're not the Father. Neither was Jesus. But the Father's in me. And if you don't believe me on account of my words, believe me on account of my works, because the works I do, they're not my works. The works the Father does through me. How you like the new me. And look what he says. He said, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
Okay, let's just contrast this. Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Are you seeing a theme? I put on the new me. How do I do that? I be renewed in the spirit of my mind. I change the way I think. Listen, this sounds hard. I'm going to say it a different way. Can I just be honest with you? Most people do not control what they think. Their mind controls them. Most of us grow up and we do whatever we want and whatever we think. We think whatever we, we, we think. We just let our mind just go. And if there's an incident, we don't tell our mind what to think about it. Our mind tells us what to think about it. And we're slaves to our thoughts. Our thoughts are not a slave to our will. Our will is a slave to our thoughts. And I'm saying, it's not supposed to be like that. You have power over what you think. Well, that doesn't feel real. That's because you're not accustomed to disciplining your mind and, and renewing it in God. Listen, you're not the only one that struggles. I struggle too, and there isn't anybody in this room that doesn't struggle at times. But I'm saying, if you get in the habit of telling your mind what to think, pretty soon it'll be, it'll be muscle memory. You'll see something, and you'll say, this is what we'll think about that. And you'll know what to think about that because you laid a foundation in the Word and in the Spirit to know how to respond to that. Would you like to have no anxiety in your life? Of course you would. Would you like to have joy every moment of the day? You can have that. Well, how, how do I do that with all these things going wrong around me? By the way you think about it. If you know whose you are and who you are, then you have nothing to worry about. The worst that could happen is you die and go to heaven where God isn't. You know, that was a joke. If God's going to be there, it's all right. Okay, Chris. I want to talk to you a little bit about training your mind. Because seriously, a one-hour message could change your life. No matter who preaches it, I'm just preaching right here, right out of the Word. I'm saying these verses, not my message, these verses could change your life. You can leave here. You're like, who would like to be happy? People go from job to job, from marriage to marriage, from boyfriend to boyfriend, girlfriend to girlfriend, all that stuff. They go place to place, buy new stuff. I'm not a, a, opposed to stuff or, or you know, any of that stuff as long as you're not doing that to numb the pain in your life because you got stinking thinking. And the only time my thinking doesn't stink is when I have activities in my life. And I'm like... That's good. It's good to have activity. Nothing wrong with it. But how many know bodily discipline is of little value? Not no value, but it's not super valuable. This is a spacesuit. It's getting wrinkled. <laughs> I'm telling you, mine's already too big for me. <laughs> Things are drooping and... Okay, how do I train my mind? Okay, I'm just giving you, this is, we're going to be practical for a few minutes, okay? How do I actually train my mind? Like, how do I teach my mind how to think instead of my mind telling me what we're going to do? Because for most of us, we just row, row, row your boat gently down the thinking stream and then go to the doctor and get drugs when the stream gets rough. I wrote a book about that. (laughs) 
I would propose to you that temptation in your life, in my life, is there to teach me how to think. (laughs) In other words, I am not the temptations I resist. I'm the virtues I embrace. So delaying gratification is one way I learn how to control my mind. My mind goes, I want to eat everything, ice cream, now. (laughs) Now, I want ice cream, now. And I go, you'll have ice cream when we're ready, and you'll have the amount that is good for us. That simple act that I should be teaching my children teaches me my appetites will not dictate my thoughts. My thoughts will not dictate my life. My will will dictate my thoughts, which will dictate my appetites. When it gets reversed, my appetites drive me instead of me driving my appetites. Kathy and I shared last Sunday morning, and that was beautiful. I really loved doing that with Kathy. It was fun. She kind of was a straight person, and I was a funny person. But then we got home, she thought she was a funny person. So, Okay. No, it was very fun. And one of the things we were talking about, we were talking about raising children. It was Mother's Day. We are like talking about raising children. Kathy had some really beautiful points. And, and we were talking about, you know, one of the most asked questions we have in the Moral Revolution conferences we do, parents come up later, because we make statements like this. Um, God doesn't want you to get rid of your sex drive. He wants you to learn how to manage your appetite. Well, that stimulates a hundred questions. Like, okay, I've got a teenager. I've got a kid who just turned 13. Obviously, obviously has a sex drive. And what does a sex drive mean? It means I want to have sex with somebody, right? I'm just practically. What's it mean when I have a sex drive? It means I want to have sex with somebody. That's called normal, right? Stop for a minute, guys. Let's not drive our teenage children out of the church. That's called normal. God's the one who said, be fruitful, multiply. God's the one who gave us a sex drive. And thank God for a sex drive or none of us would be here. (laughs) I'm telling you what. If you had to lay an egg and sit on it for nine months, (laughs) I'd be about... 700 people on the planet instead of 7 billion. Trust me. I know three kids that wouldn't be here if it wasn't fun. (laughs) Anyway, can we move on, please? So I'm simply saying our children, right? Our children. So so parents come up after, and we make these kind of comments, you know, that let's not shame our kids into different behaviors, because shame is a tool of the enemy. Shame says you, you've, you are something wrong. There's something wrong with you. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not pretty enough. And that sex drive you have, that's evil. And so, and I'm just using this as one example. It's a big example in our, in our environment. In, in, in the world today because I, don't think the world, because I don't think the church actually knows how to teach about sexuality. So what happens when, you know, so, so parents come up, I'm sorry, let me get back on track. Parents come up and they say, how do I help Johnny, my little Johnny, who just turned 13, with a sex drive? I'm like, okay, well, the actual answer was you were supposed to be helping him when he was two. Was a sex drive? No, with his appetite. Because when little Johnny wants candy... And he screams and yells in the, in the store, in the grocery store, for candy. And you gave him candy? You just told him how to not take control over his appetites. 
You just told him what you think is what you should have. But when little Johnny doesn't get his way, when little Mary doesn't get her way, when you teach them, you might want that, but that's not good for you now. How many know you already teach them about their sex drive when they hit puberty, 13, 14, 15? Because you're saying, that's a good drive, it's not for now. (laughs) But when we give people what they want, when they want it, how many understand we're teaching them what your mind thinks you should have? Thus, we have homosexuality, we've got pedophiles, we've got, if I would think it, if I want it, I should have it. I'm sorry, that's not the kingdom. That's the world and its lusts. And, and, then, and then we normalize it because people are like, you're making me feel guilty about how, I, how I'm wired. <laughs> no, actually, that's called conviction. It's the Holy Spirit. He's hovering. And he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You get around me. See, when you you living like crap, you don't want to hang around people that are living righteously. They don't have to say anything. They just Their life is a voice. I hate that person. Why do you hate them? I don't know. I just hate them. You hate them because they remind you of what you should be doing, what the Holy Spirit's been talking to you about since you fell off the Holy Spirit wagon. So what I'm getting at is this. How do I learn... To renew my mind. I'm just trying to be practical. Okay, one way you do it is you have appetites, right? Just different appetites. I mean, there's hundreds of them, right? From I'd like to have that tree in my front yard to I'd like to have that car to I'd like to have that woman. I'd like to have that man. You with me? To I'd like to have ice cream at midnight. I'm saying I teach my mind you would like that. But we will, will, W-I-L-L, we will not be having that. And I teach my mind that you will listen to our will, and you will not dictate what I will. You can give me suggestions, but you'll not tell me what to do. And I begin to think like God. Whatever you don't manage will enslave you. (laughs) Okay, let's go on. How do I renew my mind? I love this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the, company, but the companion, companion of fools will suffer harm. I'm saying, who do you let influence you? I'm still on the subject. How do I renew my mind? Who's influencing you? Because who you let influence you has a lot to do with how you think. If you hang out with fools, you'll become a fool. I didn't say that. Solomon did. If you hang out with wise men, there's something about hanging out with wise people that you get wise through osmosis. Seriously, you get wise through osmosis. And Joshua was filled with wisdom from Moses who laid his hands on him. So Moses taught him wisdom. Well, he might have. But God said the way he got it was to hang out with Moses. He was in the presence of Moses, and Moses, through osmosis, released wisdom on, Saul, on Joshua. If you hang out with fools, you're getting the other. Well, now you said I can't have unchristian friends. Come on, guys. I'm saying, who you let influencing you? My kids would say all the time, Dad, can I hang out with so-and-so? And I... And who didn't have such a good reputation. I'd say, are you influencing him or is he influencing you? He said, well, I said, I don't, if, you know, 
If you're influencing him, it's great. If he's influencing you, you know, if the anointing's flowing your way, I think that's a bad plan. I love this. Mark 4, 24. Jesus was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. Let me read it again. Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. You know what's interesting? Is there's an algorithm in the spirit, just like there is in the internet. Do you know, I'm just learning this. We, you know, we, hired, I, we, hired some, uh, we hired a consultant to teach us about just the, how does the whole social, social networking world work. Because how many know we want to change the world? So the other day I posted something and six million people saw it. I'm like, whoa, this is a lot faster than traveling. <laughs> that was about a year ago. And I'm like, hey, if we did more of this, we could influence more people. How do we get more people to see our stuff? You know, simple, right? So we, we had this consultant. In fact, now we've had three different ones, but we were in the, in the office a couple of weeks ago, and he was explaining to us that the Internet, you, there's probably a more technical word, sorry. This is what I got from it. <laughs> they were talking about robots and all kinds of stuff. I was just like picking a, a little piece here and there. He's like, the Internet actually actually learns your desires. From your Facebook page, your social networking, when you buy on Amazon, the, the things you post, everything. Like when you buy something, the computer, the internet remembers that. When you buy something off of Amazon, the computer, the, the internet remembers that. If you look at porn, the internet remembers that. If you, like, if, like my son's into fishing, and he buy, you know, he's always doing fishing posts and fishing stuff and buying fishing stuff on the internet. Well, guess what kind of ads pop up in his box? Fishing ads. It's called direct marketing on the internet, right? It's pointed marketing. It's like, okay, why spend money marketing to 7 billion people when actually only about 150,000 people in America are going to actually want that product? Why not just spend 10 cents to reach this 150,000 people that probably are going to buy instead of spending, you know, two cents to, on 7 billion people. And what I'm getting at is that, that we're learning that the, the habits of what people watch and listen to is recorded forever on the internet. And if you pay a little bit of money, a marketing person will go, okay, so what kind of products are you selling? Okay, we'll just market them to those people and those ads will pop up. So, Jesus said, be careful what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you and more will be given to you. On the internet, if you look at porn, you're the guy that gets the porn ads. I've gotten probably three porn ads in five years. And look at porn. All the rhythms go out and they go, oh, he's not interested in that stuff. So people, sometimes they come and go, I get porn ads all the time. I got one about two weeks ago. It's the first one I've had in, I think, I think a year. And, of course, I don't open them. I, see, I can tell just by the address. I'm like, that's an address I don't recognize. I delete it. What I'm getting at is this. The more you open, the more is given to you. <laughs> Here's the deal. The spirit world has algorithms, too. 
the things you listen to invite the same spirits back. And more will be given to you besides. I don't know why, but every bitter person, everybody who has bitterness wants to come and talk to me. Because that's what you listen to. And the spirit world knows it, and it goes out and sends out spiritual algorithms, and it draws that spirit to you. You ever notice you're going to be in church of 8,000 people, 10,000 people, and there's always a bunch of people that hang out together that don't like the pastor? You ever sit, you ever sit with a friend who's got a, a problem with you, and they, go, and they go, and I'm not the only one, and they start naming five, six, seven people, and their, their point is everybody thinks like this. Everybody in your world thinks like that because you open the door, that's what you listen to, and that algorithm drew that spirit into your life, and those people that have that same spirit, they connect it to you. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> be careful what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it'll be measured. And more will be given to you besides. You tell dirty jokes, it's funny how people that tell dirty jokes hang out with you. If you laugh at people's dirty jokes, it's amazing how other people will come to you. It's funny, if you cuss, it's funny how the people around you cuss. If you don't cuss, it's funny how they, if they cuss, they go, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Crap is not a cuss word. <laughs> I know what you're thinking right now. You're like looking at me like, I shared this about six months ago. I, was, I have a clawfoot bathtub. Actually, I've had a clawfoot bathtub for 36 years. Actually, I grew up in an old, old house. When Kathy and I got married, we had a clawfoot bathtub. Clawfoot bathtub, you know? You know old bathtub? Did I say it right? Isn't it a claw? Okay. I've owned it, so it looks like a claw. So, we all, so we, when we got married, we had this little old house. We lived in this house that was 100 years old, and it had a clawfoot bathtub. So when we moved to Weaverville, we built our first house. We, we said, oh, we'd like to get it. one of those bathtubs. You know, they, they're so comfortable. So we got a claw bathtub, and that's where I read and prayed for 18 years in Weaverville. So when we, when we moved into this new house, it, it had a, one of those tubs that had jets. We took it out. We put a cloth with a bathtub in. Anyway, that has nothing to do with my message. <laughs> Except for about six months ago, I was laying in the cloth with a bathtub, and I like to, on my days off, I think rest first. Like, don't accomplish something first, rest first. So I like to, like, I like to sleep until I can't sleep anymore. I put the covers over my head, I just try to sleep. You know, if I can sleep till 10, I try, because we, we do lots of hours here. And then I like to get up and, get, and put hot water in the bathtub and lay in it until Jesus comes home. <laughs> and I get my foot up there and I just keep turning it on. Anybody else do that? I don't like showers. I like to know that I've accomplished something. <laughs> so I was laying in my cloth with bathtub and I laid there, you know, I laid there for like an hour and a half and, and it kept getting cold and I kept turning on the water. And I just had this thought, and I, I've shared this before, but it's not profound, except for it is. 
I was thinking, the water kept getting cold, and I kept turning it on, and it kept getting cold. And I thought to myself, and I know the answer, I thought, how cold will this water get? Like, if I just not put hot in, and I just stay in here until Jesus comes back, what will be the temperature of the water? And then I thought another minute, and I said, oh, I know, how, I know exactly what temperature it would be. Like, it's not a guess. It's not a prophecy. It'll be 71 degrees. You know why? Because before I got in the tub, I set the thermostat for 71 degrees. So the water will become the temperature of the ecosystem in the room. And then I had this thought. Like, what you cultivate dominates. See, the, the most powerful things don't necessarily dominate. It's like, light's greater than darkness. It is but you'd have to cultivate light to chase off darkness. Are you following me? See, grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. Grass is greener on the side you water. (laughs) Listen, you think this is really, like, stupid, right? People leave their jobs. They do all kinds of crazy stuff so they can be happy, and they find out that unhappy went with them. Because what dominates, the thing that dominates your life is what you cultivate. If you cultivate thoughts that lead to hopelessness and depression, and you hang out with people, you know, if you're mentored by the media, and then you wonder, like, I don't know why I'm not happy. I don't know why I'm not happy. Well, you're not happy because you hang out with fools, listen to the media, and think crappy thoughts. And think that changing jobs is going to fix it. And then when it doesn't, then it's the boss's fault, your husband's fault, your wife's fault, your friend's fault. But the challenge is this. You have full control. over. You don't, have tr- you don't always have control over what happens to you, but you always have control over what happens in you. But if what happens to you is what happens in you, then you're, in a, you, you're a thermometer and not a thermostat. See, a lot of people are thermometers. They walk around and like, whatever's happening, that's the temperature they are. They don't control the temperature. The temperature controls them. So they try to find a place where it's hot or cold or whatever temperature they want to be. It's like, I need to be there. And then they're like, oh, I finally got it. And then they leave and they can't keep it because they realize the only reason they were the right temperature is because they got in an ecosystem that somebody else proactively cultivates. Like, I went to school for two years and I got it. Then I left and then I don't got it. It's like, no, you were a thermometer and you got in a nice, comfortable room and you turned the temperature. But for some reason, you didn't get what I cultivate dominates. Somebody else cultivated for you and it dominated and then when you left, you couldn't keep it. You could change your life right now. I mean, right this minute, your life could change right now. Right this minute, could change forever. The rest of your life could change right now. Well, how do I do that? Change the way you think. If you change the way you think, God will change the way you live. (laughs) Create an ecosystem inside of you that dominates what's happening around you. Don't let the ecosystem around you dominate what's happening in you. You know what poverty is? Poverty means I am powerless because somebody else controls me. You know, you can't become what you haven't seen or heard. 
Am I making sense? Are you, are you falling? Did I lose you? You can't become what you haven't seen or heard. So when we look in the face of Jesus, we're transformed from what? Glory to glory as to the Spirit of the Lord. Why? Because I can't become what I haven't seen or heard. So when I see Jesus, and I was made in His image and His likeness, when I see Him, I become like Him. Think about this. I was created in the image of God. But what happened to me? Why do I have to be transformed? Because I got deformed. How do I get deformed? By thinking like the world. So how do I get transformed? I see Jesus, and because I was made in His image, when we see Him, we'll be like Him. I can't become what I haven't seen or heard. I need you to change. To what? Let me understand, change is fine if it's glory to glory. But it could be bad to worse. Are you following me? I can't become what I haven't seen or heard. So what does God do in our lives? He puts people in our lives that are glowing. But what happens when I have a poverty spirit? I get jealous of them and I hate them instead of looking at what God can do for me. Someone has nice stuff. And by the way, nice stuff doesn't make you, it doesn't break you. We've talked about it. But someone has nice stuff. And instead of going, God loves them and they have nice stuff. God loves me. I can have nice stuff. Instead, I get jealous of them and think of 50 reasons why they stole that, they worked, they used people, they did this. And God said, I brought it in your life so you could see what I'd love to do for you. Henry comes into your life and he's happy and he's happy about everything. You're like, God, I just hate Henry. You know, he's just a, such a jerk, you know. Probably never has a problem in his life. Born with a silver spoon. Silver spoony. You silver spoony person. Yeah, if you had a real life, you'd know why we're all unhappy. No, Henry has an ecosystem he cultivates inside of him. And God brings Henry to your life. You're, God, you're like, God, change my life. God brings Henry. Why? Because you, you, you can't become what you haven't seen or heard. And God goes, I'll show you what it looks like. Listen, when the children of Israel, wanted, when God wanted them to go in the promised land, what did he do? He sent the spies in. What did he tell them? He didn't say, you know, figure out if we should do this. That's the question they thought they were answering. He said, go up and figure out where to come up and bring some fruit. <laughs> Why? Because he's trying to motivate them for the promised land. So they brought back, remember, all this fruit. Why did they bring that fruit? Oh, those people over there in the promised land, they're soft. Smug, rich people. God's like, no, no, I'm trying to get you in the promised land. I brought back what's going to be yours. Stop being stupid. Stop thinking like a pauper. When you see people prospering around you, you go, that could be mine. I'm, you know, I understand that, you know, First John 4, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. I understand that. I'm not trying to say that at all. I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply saying God wants you to be prosperous. I didn't mean he wants you to have a lot of money. I'm talking about the kingdom inside of you. It, you may have a lot of money, you may not. But your condition outside of you doesn't mean you're prospering. I know lots of people who are rich and miserable. And I know lots of people who are poor and miserable. And I'd rather be rich and miserable because at least you go shopping. I'm just, 
if I have a preference, kill me with the riches. Come on, guys, you know where I'm going. I'm simply saying, cultivate what's in you. When God, when you pray, God, God, deliver me from poverty. The thing that's going to happen really soon is you're going to find somebody who isn't in poverty, who God sends you as a messenger. Don't be jealous of them. That's so you can see that you can change. <laughs> if you're addicted to porn, you got God, deliver me from porn. He sends you Mary, who has no problems with porn, and you don't want to be around Mary to say, ah, she thinks she's so. Nah. She's an example of what you could be. Stop it. This is your vision. This is your promised land. Jesus brings the promised land to you. Look at that. You can have that fruit right there. I'm no respecter of persons. But when you're a little pauper, you're jealous of the people God sends as a sign. I'm not making a political statement. I really am not. But I want to just address like the Trump issue. Like, I, I really have nothing. I really do not want to make public statements. I work on both sides of the aisle. I'm not going to tell anybody who I'm voting for. But I'm talking about the one thing. Well, he's rich and he's all this. Whether he's rich or poor has nothing to do with it. I'm just saying, don't be mentored by the media. Whoever you vote for, don't be mentored by the media. Don't let those people think for you. Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I'll spit you from my mouth. I was thinking about that verse when I was in the tub. God bless you, by the way. Glad that came out right there. Sorry, it's a joke. You know what lukewarm is? The temperature of the room. It's what happens when you make no effort. What happens when you're a thermometer? You're like, I'm just whatever. Whatever you guys are, that's what I am. I'm lukewarm. I'm not hot because that takes energy. And I'm not cold because that takes energy. I'm just a thermometer. I'm just, listen, you want to know what the culture's like? Talk to me. I'm a reflection. How I many you know Jesus, God said, arise and shine? He didn't say, arise and reflect. Some people, what they call the gospel, that's just a reflection of CNN. Prophecies, I've seen those in the New York Times. I'm saying, have some energy. (laughs) Good word, thank you. I don't want to finish with these thoughts. It's not what you want that changes you. It's what you will. You can want all day long. You can want a great marriage. You can want to go to heaven. You can want to be wealthy. You can want to be a missionary. You can want to be an athlete. You can want anything. Want costs you nothing, and it gets you nowhere. It's only when your wants become your will. Well, that was a lot bigger than you think it was. When your wants become your will. 
then your will becomes, is acted out in behavior. Then your behaviors become consistent, and that becomes an ecosystem. And when you do that long enough, it becomes a culture. Then not only is, not, when it becomes a culture, not only are you changed, but when people come into your culture, if they're a thermometer, they're changed. <laughs> we all know the problem. If they come in your culture and they don't get the culture, then when they leave, they're a thermometer. But at least they get to experience what it's like to be in the kingdom for a moment because they're in your presence. Are you with me? So when I change my mind and then I will what I want, I will what I want, then I do what I will, and then I be consistent. And when I'm consistent, I create an ecosystem. And when I do it long enough, I create a culture. What's it mean when I have a culture? You know, I have a really nice Corvette. When I go down the road at the speed limit, and I take my, I put it in neutral, I don't stop immediately. You know why? I have momentum. I have momentum, right? I have to actually make an effort to stop because I'm, am I making sense? Like momentum actually keeps me going. I could turn the engine off and I could coast for, depending on how fast I was going and the slant and all the other, other conditions, I could coast for a while without doing anything. Like I'm not spending one, I'm not doing, making any effort, I'm not spending any gas money, I'm not doing anything, I'm just coasting. Why? Because I have momentum. Are you with me? So what I'm getting at is like everybody has bad days. Everybody has bad I don't care how much great thinking you do. You live on earth. Everybody has bad days. But you know what happens when you have 160 good days? And then you have a bad few days? You have momentum. And everybody gets out of bed and says, Ugh, I feel like I should just go back to bed and just like, yeah, I'm just not, I'm just not living it today. I'm not living it today. But you don't instantly stop because you have momentum and you built a culture around you and the culture you built around you, they start encouraging you because you're not around fools. So you can't hardly stop. You can't, even, you can't hardly stop doing good stuff even when you don't feel like, I don't feel like doing good stuff today. I'm having a bad day. Just leave me alone. Nobody's going to leave you alone because you're in a river of people who have the same culture you have and they're like, come on, man. <laughs> Strengthen the weak. <laughs> Say to the, those who are... Fearful in heart. Be strong. You're like, I don't want to be strong. Be strong. What happened? You got a culture around. You have to work really hard to stop in a culture. You have to, re, you have to, listen, you can fall, but it's hard to fail. When you have a bunch of people around you, you and, and you have wise people speaking into your life, and you've got a community that, ha, that has developed this culture with you, and you guys are all thinking like Jesus and you know, it's not just reading the Bible, but it is that too. But, you know, you're thinking like the kingdom, and you're like, nothing's impossible with God, and you, your mind's renewed, and the people around, and then you have one day where your mind isn't renewed. It's all right. You're in the river that's floating the right way. It's like Ezekiel's river. It's floating from the throne. If you don't paddle, you'll end up at God's house. I'm just saying, when you develop a culture... I know it's not like this the first month. I understand that. It's not like this the first six months. But when you begin to live a life like this, you actually have to work hard to fail. That's not true. You have to work hard to be a failure. 
you can fail, but you just have all this river of people that just keep you going and they just you know, put you on the right track. And they're like, dude, what happened, man? You must have listened to the news. <laughs> Did you listen to the news? Oh, I did. I listened to the news. <laughs> you read through Facebook comments, didn't you? Oh, I did. Bad. You develop a culture around you of people who think like God. Because we have the mind of Christ. And then you have a bad day. You're going to have a bad day. I'm not prophesying. I'm just being real. But there's no sense of having a bad week. And you know how it is when you're in a community and you're like, I don't want to be around anybody. They come get you. <laughs> they come get you like, we didn't see you. I know, I didn't want to be seen. Well, come on, we're going shopping. I don't feel like shopping. We're going anyway. You're going anyway. I don't want to shop. Watch us shop. I don't like you right now. I don't like me right now. I don't like anybody. Oh, you'll like us by the time the day is over. You know, just it's how it is when you create a community, right? Just can't, you're just like, I, leave me alone. I want to fail. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll do it in the back of our car. No, I want to be left alone. Hasn't everybody had days like that? Come on, let's just be real. Like, you just have days like, I give up. And it's like, you can't give up because you've got friends. Your friends are like, they're lowering you through the ceiling with Jesus. <laughs> Lord, our friend's being an idiot. <laughs> oh, I took the roof tiles off and lowered them down. I want to be flame. No, yeah, I know, but we don't want you to be. <laughs> Those are the friends you have when you cultivate good thinking and you invite good thinking people around you. When you have a stinking thinking day, it doesn't turn into a life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, I was in my office this week with Dan Fairley. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Paul Manwaring. And there was one more person in there. I can't remember who it was. I invited my friends into my office because I had some real stinking thinking. And I knew that my thinking stunk, but I didn't know what good thinking was. And I invited my friends into my office, right? And my friends told me the truth. Some of it was really encouraging, and some was painful. And how many know you embrace it all? And we walked out of there, and there were some good decisions made. But most importantly, I'm like, I got my north back. Because my compass was spinning. And I, my, compass, I, my compass was spinning for two weeks. And I said, I was praying. And the Lord said, in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. And I said, okay, who's my wisest people I know that are with me that know me? There's wise people in this church. But I need people that know me because I can sound like a great salesman and still be wrong. But not with your friends. Your friends go, no, no. <laughs> That's a bunch of bull right there, buddy. That thing you just sold me, that's a lie. <laughs> that's not actually true. Remember, you had this problem here, and this problem here, and this problem here? Yeah, the only thing that changed was the names of the people. This is your pattern. Oh, I don't know why I can't see that in my own life. Did anybody else have that problem? I'm like the blind Bartimaeus in my own life. 
I mean, I give my, my friends good counsel most of the time, but I can't counsel myself out of a box. I am serious. And I'll spend, and my wife will go, you need to go talk to Dan. I know Dan's going to say this and this. You don't know that. Dan's smarter than you. You say it all the time. That's true. I get a whipping from Dan probably at least once a quarter. I said, and he works for me. I'm like, you a brave guy. You could lose your job right now. Well, sometimes we need someone to go, that's stupid. <laughs> that's exactly what he said to me last week. He goes, that's stupid. I said, it's the truth. He said, no, it's stupid. You're being stupid. And I said, he said, you being stupid. This is before Paul, the meeting I had with Paul. He said, you're being stupid. I said, am I? He said, yes. I'm thinking, I could argue with him, but I have said from the podium, he's the smartest man I've ever met. So arguing with the smartest man I ever met when he tells you you're stupid is pretty stupid. Everybody needs a friend who's close enough to know when you're stupid. He didn't say I was stupid. He said you're being stupid. I'm like, yeah. Well, it takes a lot to change a personality like this. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, that was so cruel. Oh, no, it, it's like you have to hit me with a big old sledgehammer. You, you can't, like, if you say, like, if you're like Bill and you're really graceful, I don't even know you said anything to correct me. Seriously, don't know you corrected me. Seriously. Paul knows. He's one of my very close friends. Like, you have to really, like, spell it out for me. Because if you just, like, whoa, and I'm like, oh. And it's like six months later, I'll be praying, and it'll come back to me like, oh, he corrected me. <laughs> yes, the, the sharp sword don't work on me. I need a hammer. Yeah, yeah, I know some of you have hammers. I've... Let me finish. You could change right now. I'm dead serious. We've been laughing a lot. This is not a joke. You could literally change your life right now. You, you don't need the 995 package. You don't need the life coach. Those, those things are good. They're all good. And whatever those are. Chris Felton CDs, the best. <laughs> the books are even better. It's all good. All of that stuff's good. But until you decide that you are not going to let your mind tell you what to do. All that stuff is not going to, it might influence you, but it's not going to change you. The day you decide, I will will to be a child of God, and I will reject anything my mind brings to me that does not encourage that. I will reject it. Now I can bring in influences. Now I can read the book, I can do the life coach, I can have all that, because I have some place to hang on to it. But all that stuff is just painting on an old house if you don't will to be a man, a woman who thrives. And if that's dominion theology, then I'm that. I don't know what else I am, but I am that. You are not powerless. You can do exceedingly, abundantly. 
more than you ask or think. You are more than a conqueror. You have the mind of Christ. You have God in you, the hope of glory. I think I'm going to write a book about glory. I'm saying all that stuff that says I can't change, even right now you're saying, well, you don't know me. You know, I don't know you, but I know him. And the him that lives in me lives in you. And I understand how powerful he is. All I have to do is align my will with his will, and we're about to change. And then I just have to keep it there, because like you and like me, my will wanders off, and I'll have to pull it back. And it's a lifetime journey of disciple. It comes from the word discipline. It's a lifetime journey. I will not think that. I will think this. And at first, it's not easy. It's like it feels like your will's on a rubber band. You're like, whoa, come back here. Whoa, come back there. But little by little, it becomes easier to think this way. Right? Cognizant training. It becomes easier to think this way than it does to think that way. Can I think that way? Yeah, do I? Sometimes. But it feels like I'm off the path when I think like that. Are you with me? Okay. I want you to stand. I want to pray for you all. I want you to say this. I am a child of the king. Nothing is impossible for me. But it's because the king lives in me. And I live in the king. And I'm in the kingdom. And the kingdom's in me. Everything that makes me feel powerless is a lie. Everything that doesn't inspire hope in me is a lie. God made me powerful. He has an abundant life planned for me. And the joy that's the Lord's is my strength. I am not somebody that... No, the kingdom of God is not eat or drink. But it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, righteousness, peace, and joy is my normal. I'm fun to be around. I bless people. You would like to be my friend. Because I love everyone. Even my enemies. Because I love God. And I love myself. Therefore, I will thrive because of His grace in my life. It's normal for me to thrive. It's not just common. It's normal. And I want to be a normal Christian who walks in power, is full of peace, full of joy, and creates an ecosystem that people love to come into. In Jesus' name, name. that's who I am. That's That's what I'm going to do. So be it. Amen.